In this episode, Courtney Kaplan shares her unique journey from music teacher to management consultant. She discusses her non-traditional background, pivoting to business, and advice for others following a similar path. At one point, she even whips out the saxophone for some good old holiday cheer. Welcome to The Fuqua Show, where we hear about the stories, experiences, and insights of Team Fuqua. I'm your host, Thomas Chang, and today I'm here with Courtney Kaplan. Yes. How are you, Courtney? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. So I'm really excited to talk with Courtney. She's got such an interesting story. Courtney is a second-year MBA student here at Fuqua. Her background as a public school music teacher has inspired her to take on leadership roles, including the Consulting Club Cabinet, where she helped redesign and teach roadmap training sessions. Next year, Courtney plans to join Deloitte as a senior consultant in the Charlotte office. How is that? Anything else you want me to add in there? No, that's intro? good. That's great. Well, what else are you involved with? You're involved with Board Games Club, I know. Yes, I am co-president of the Board Games Club. I'm very proud. And I also play saxophone and a little flute in the Fuqua Band. In the Fuqua Band. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe um, we'll, we'll get to hear some music later on from you. <laughs> So let's start with the music background, what you were doing before you came to business school. A lot of us learn to play maybe one or two musical instruments. You play 11. What sparked this love of music in you? <laughs> well, um, I will say like 11 instruments is, it sounds like a lot, but uh, it depends on what you mean by play. I mean, I consider it to be like a foreign language. So I, I would say I'm fluent in like two instruments okay. um, and conversational at best at a bunch of other ones. So That's still impressive. <laughs> I, to answer your question about kind of what sparked it, I started playing clarinet in fourth grade, switched to saxophone in fifth grade because I had a crush on a boy named John who played saxophone. That didn't work out, spoiler <laughs> alert. But, uh, but the uh, saxophone did. Saxophone did. So yeah, I think I, as I just got more into the activity. I just loved the way it helped me connect with other people, kind of the teamwork aspect of things. I loved the challenge of learning to play it, just the technique aspect of it, and just the creative expression that you can employ through music. So all of those things really drove the passion throughout my childhood. So you loved the challenge of learning all these different instruments, but how did you learn them? I <laughs> tried with violin, and my teachers, my mom will tell you, it was not a good experience. <laughs> how did you learn how to play all these? Um, well, it started with one, and saxophone was like my primary instrument. So you always go and audition into a music degree with a primary instrument, and once you get there, I ended up studying music education, and you take classes on how to play all the other instruments. So I took a woodwinds class where I learned how to play flute and clarinet, and a brass class where I learned how to play trumpet, trombone, French horn, um, tuba. And there, there are a lot of similarities. So I would say after you learn the first one, kind of the marginal difficulty of learning more is, is not as much as you might think. All the fingerings on flute are the same on saxophone. The way you make the sound on a trumpet is the same as the way your lips make sound with air on trombone. So you just translate kind of little things, if that makes sense. So if I'm understanding correctly, you learned a lot of these in college. Yeah. When you were older in life. Yes. How was that process? I mean, it was fun, but also humbling because you get so good at one instrument that you're kind of going backwards and it feels like, well, now I, I'm starting with Mary Had a Little Lamb <laughs> and 
and it's kind of frustrating because you know how to express beautiful melodies on saxophone, but then you're struggling with this tool that you don't know how to use. Wow, I'm still blown away. (laughs) (laughs) But you talked about pursuing music teacher education, excuse me, music education for your bachelor's degree. What made you go down this path? There were two things. So the practicality of becoming a music performer is just statistically very difficult. My husband's a professional orchestra musician, and so I'm kind of acutely aware of the probabilities. And given that path, plus just how much I enjoyed helping other people and and connecting with other people, teaching was a lot better of a fit. So I think unlocking joy through the skills of music was a big driver in that path. And while you were pursuing this education degree, what were your hopes for your future students? What did you want their music education with you to look like? Just really that they enjoyed it. That was my primary goal, to have a time in the day that they could not think about math or stress or like what was going on at home, that they could actually just find their creative voice. And the way you unlock that is through teaching music literacy. So it's not just about like doing a fun activity. The more you are able to speak the language of music, notes and rhythms and and all these terms that you have to learn, the more joy that you can unlock. So I really believe that and pushed music literacy even when I taught elementary music. There's a curriculum where you're teaching them all these building block skills. And I felt really passionate about translating those into ways that kids could understand and then seeing them progress and be able to access cool music through that. And how do you help kids understand? I don't think that I personally had a lot of that music theory, music literacy. And I don't know if as a third grader, I would have cared about sharps and flats. (laughs) How do you get the kids to care? Well, you got to be a really good salesperson, Mm. which honestly kind of is relevant to consulting interviews. I'm sure. I'm sure it is. (laughs) You got to learn how to sell hot cross buns to a sixth grader. That's, That's hard to do. But I think kids are naturally really curious and excited to learn new things. That's something that was really surprising to me as a teacher is kids really want to be helpful and they want to learn stuff. So if you can just tap into that intrinsic desire and remove the barriers to that learning, then it will work itself out. You just mentioned that one of the surprises for you was how curious and eager students were to learn these things. Yeah. What else surprised you? What else was unexpected? I mean, on on a more pessimistic note, I think the realities of public school teaching was really surprising to me. I knew that it was an under-resourced field to go into, but the the struggles of the day-to-day and kind of the toll that that takes was really tough. And ultimately, it makes sense that 50% of teachers leave within five years because it's just a really hard life to sustain. What are some of those challenges, especially as a music teacher? We hear a lot about arts being cut what 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 other excuse me what other challenges did you face yeah so whereas other teachers were stressed about standardized testing um my challenges were more sort of defending my right to have a job the lack of kind of understanding and credibility that my subject brought to students lives i felt that music literacy was incredibly important and translated to a lot of really useful skills in in discipline and collaboration and creativity. But I think not everybody understood that and saw the value in that. So that was a struggle, as well as just the number of students in a classroom, the lack of like support staff to help you. There's just really no like 
wiggle room within the system to support you. Like if you have to take a day off or like if you have to go to the bathroom, like there's no adult to step in for you. Like these little things that make it hard to get through your day and make it not about teaching and make it about all these other things that are in your way. How many students would you have in one class? The most students I had was 55. In one class? Yeah. Wow. That was seventh grade band. So band classes are a little bit bigger, typically. The most kids I had in like an elementary class was 28 first graders. And the younger you get, the more important smaller class sizes are because they just developmentally need a lot more attention and guidance and they don't have those social skills built up yet. So that was a lot. The difference between 20 kids and 28 kids is huge. I'm sure. <laughs> when they're six-year-olds. <laughs> I'm sure. And with the first graders, they weren't playing instruments. You were teaching just general music, not even theory, but music principles. Yeah. Tell us about that. I, I mean, yeah, general music theory is, is right and, and like basic music skills. But, but sometimes they would play instruments like xylophones that are pared down to a couple of bars and, you know, rhythm sticks and drums and and bells. And yeah, the logistics of them making a ton of noise and having to manage that classroom with that number of kids was challenging, but also very fun at times and just random and wacky. (laughs) You mentioned a lot of challenges that you were facing, even in the quote unquote normal times. Mm -hmm. You were also teaching during the pandemic, which I'm sure introduced a lot more disruption. How did you manage and navigate that? Yeah, so I was teaching middle school band during the pandemic year, and I had to pivot my entire job onto Microsoft Teams for about a whole calendar year. I just had to reframe my goals and my strategies so that I could even do my job period because a lot of people shifted to Zoom to do an office job, but how do you do that with band where they're playing instruments all at the same time? So my primary goal was, again, to like make sure it was a thing that they enjoyed and not a thing that caused them stress, but at the same time, keeping their core skills so that they would come back the next year not completely behind and they would still kind of like be able to play their major scales and kind of these techniques that, that we were supposed to be building. In this new format, I really pared it down to like, what is the one exercise that they need to learn this week? And I did a lot of modeling. So I learned the songs on a bunch of different instruments. So my secondary instrument <laughs> fluency became a lot better. I played clarinet and trombone and trumpet and flute and snare drum over Microsoft Teams. So they would sort of play along while they were on mute. And they would upload recordings of themselves and I would give one-on-one feedback to, I think, my 250 student load at that time. And the kids who really chose to engage and have their camera on and learn how to self-evaluate and kind of follow along actually were able to learn a lot that year. I mean, there were kids who started from scratch, sixth graders who didn't know how to open the case of a flute and like could play songs at the end of the year. All on. Incredible. All virtually. Yeah in a group setting. So really pretty cool. I mean, hard, but, (laughs) you know, there were success stories there. And I think that speaks to the power of resilience and creativity when all of a sudden everything gets turned upside down. You think, how am I ever going to teach kids how to play musical instruments on Zoom? But from what you're saying, it's possible. Yeah. I mean, that's the superpower of being a teacher, in my opinion, is just the idea that you're asked to do impossible things all the time. 
and yet you are the one responsible and there are kids on the line and it's it's all you it's like you have to make it happen so you know i put on a play in six weeks with no budget like that's just the kind of stuff (laughs) that we do and coming to business school it gives you a new perspective as to what's possible and what you can handle right and do you have any stories of really memorable students that you've worked with over the years Yeah, I mean, there are kids who really like excelled at at playing instruments who were super talented. There were kids who I remember because they were just really like precocious. And and I'm like, wow, this kid is annoying, but they're going places kind of thing. (laughs) There was one kid who would like argue with me every day to try to sit by his friends in band class. And I I had to respect this negotiation tactic of (laughs) the persistence to like come up with all of these different reasons why he had to sit by his friend. And some of it worked, but ultimately it's, if you're gonna cause problems, you gotta sit in the front row so I can keep an eye on you, so. So is he gonna teach negotiations next semester? (laughs) Honestly, this kid's going places. Like, (laughs) I respect the game. Now, you were here at Fuqua at the business school. Yeah. I wanna know what made you pursue that pivot from music education to business? Well, I think, Some of the realities of teaching became a lot more salient during the pandemic year. There was a disillusionment, I think, with the entire field, honestly. And then there was a realization that some aspects of the job were just kind of a poor fit for me personally and the way that I want my career to look. So like what I wanted to see like things from a broader lens. Um, I heard from veteran teachers that you really will be happy in teaching if you can focus on your classroom and make that your oasis. And I found that I wanted to solve bigger structural problems in in the district and, and how can we improve these more broad things. And so being closer to decision makers and having a more problem solving role was something I wanted from my job. And I realized pretty soon that's what consultants do. <laughs> so that was that was an immediate fit. And have I have found that to be to be the case just from my summer internship and learning about consulting at Deloitte and it's it's been great. It's been way better. Well I wanna ask you some more questions about this. Why business though? Why not public policy or government work or something else in the public sector when you had that background in ed- in education? Money gets things done faster. Mm-hmm. I think the private sector has a lot more flexibility and agility and incentives to actually affect change. So I think when it comes to my personal fulfillment of my job and like how much am I able to impact an organization as well as enjoyment day to day, like in not being frustrated, like the private sector was a better fit. A little bit depressing to think of it that way, but that's how I see it. That's why why business. Sure. Sure. And we'll talk a little bit about consulting, but let's talk about that initial jump from music education to business. What was harder than expected? And also what was easier than expected? How long it would take for me to gain this new vocabulary, um, especially accounting, (laughs) words like profit and ROI and uh, net present value, all of these concepts that business people use all the time to justify decisions. These were new words, new concepts, new ways of thinking that I had never experienced before. That was a tough learning curve because those come up a lot in case interviews. And I just had to do a lot of cases where I had to practice those terms. And then I think another aspect that was difficult was that those are often associated with like this term business acumen, which I think can be learned. And you just read more, you 
get plugged into the news, you do research on things, and you develop a bank of stories to kind of understand business decisions. But that's not something that I felt like I was really strong in. And now I've gained a lot more of in the past year. In terms of what was easier, I was really surprised at how much like statistics came back from my high school days, honestly. <laughs> I was weirdly good at that class. And I also found networking to be really like fun. It was it was easy for me to connect with people. So that aspect of consulting recruiting was easier and more enjoyable than I expected. And what about the networking? Was it anything to do with your background as a teacher? Oh, yeah. I think people saw my background as unique. And that was a really good spark, I think, to a lot of coffee chats of people thought it was interesting. Oh, wow, you're a music teacher. That's so interesting. And obviously, I got into Fuqua and am here. So there's that aspect that speaks to just my credibility for being there. But it was it was an asset, I think, especially at the beginning where people were very interested in my story. And what brought why would you choose business school? Wow, that's so unique. So that's that's probably what made it fun. Well, we have you ending up in consulting last summer and doing very well. You've got the return offer. Congratulations again. Thank you. When you're at that job, so not even just at business school, but when you're at the consulting firm, what are some other ways that your music career and non-traditional background helped you in the field? Yeah, I, I mentioned just that scrappiness that teachers have to to get things done in creative ways. That was super useful. I have this way of, I think, challenging the assumptions going into a plan where the way you have to lead a lesson is you have to see all of these different ways it can go wrong and preempt that. And that's really helpful for consulting. If you're going to come up with a plan or you're going to launch a new thing, you've got to think about all the ways that it can fail. Mm. And so I found that to be really helpful. And you also mentioned earlier the sales aspect, the negotiation. (laughs) Yeah, presenting. Honestly, like communicating your ideas in a way that people understand. That's what I did for five years. And, you know, if I can teach 16th notes to third graders, I can teach executives about, you know, collaborating and (laughs) new uh, strategic plans and customer experience. And yeah. Now, after the internship this summer, you came back for the second year. And you've played a huge role in redesigning and restructuring the roadmap program. And that's the second year led course to teach first years how to do consulting case interviews. What inspired you to take on this role? Yeah, so I felt really inspired to apply for the position of roadmap because I think the skill of casing well is not the same as the skill of teaching. I brought an asset in the skill of teaching, and I felt that that was kind of a perspective that was missing from the prior year's roadmap. I was able to work with a really amazing team to rethink how do we make this super valuable to first years? How do we like separate the content of a case interview, like what to think of, and then the delivery of that content? Like that perspective was new. So there were a number of ways that I made it more interactive and feedback driven. We played with the size of the classroom and kind of the format. We played with the instructor staffing and which second years were teaching which sections so that we could maximize kind of how many second years, first years were exposed to. So there were a lot of changes that were really thoughtful that went into how we structured roadmap this year that was different from last year. I'm just blown away by the impact that like these very amazing and helpful second years have been able to share these insights with first years, but through a structure that I helped create. 
It's just so inspiring. And were there any things you implemented or suggested this year that came directly from your previous teaching career? Yeah, I think the feedback-driven aspect of it was really important. So we integrated a tool called Socrative that was a ed tech tool where people are responding to a poll. You get a sense for what people are understanding and not understanding. So they, you can ask a question and then people input their response. I know a number of classes at Fuqua employ a similar, like poll EV. This is really important for teachers to know their audience and, and build upon prior knowledge. It just allows it to be a lot more interactive. And so we came up with like structured questions for each session that would allow teachers to respond in real time to like how students are understanding. As you move forward in consulting, how do you hope to either keep improving as a teacher, because it's sounding like you never really stop teaching, or incorporate some of that teaching knowledge and expertise into your professional career? I love teaching and coaching people. I think it's so fulfilling. And even like what a casing first year's one-on-one, I love helping them to grow and giving them actionable feedback that also makes them feel empowered to improve. So I think in corporate America, sometimes there's this idea that you have to pay your dues and learning has to be painful and it's just like going to be hard for your first couple of years. And I just don't agree with that. I think I hope to be the kind of manager that is empathetic towards people who are starting out and really plugged into the way people are feeling because that's how you get the most out of people. I think good management and good coaching and mentorship is like a big foundation and retention for companies as well as just maximizing talent. So I I hope to be a part of that at whatever firm I end up at, definitely during my time at Deloitte and just in my career in general. Well, I completely agree with you. And with my education background, I'm also interested in this idea of everybody needing to be a teacher or a mentor in whatever context they're operating in. For you, what advice would you give to fellow students or anybody listening about how to be an effective teacher or mentor? I had no idea you had a teaching background. <laughs> a little bit, a little, not as much as you. Did you teach in public schools? In China, but we can we can talk about that okay. on a different episode. <laughs> um, that's amazing. Yeah, I think how people can incorporate teaching, I think, is just starting from a point of empathy is a good place to start and just always being plugged into the way that your message is going to be received. So it's way more important for you to deliver a message in a compelling way, whether that's with the way that you build out your slide or the tone of voice that you use or the way you structure or how much you say or how little you say compared to the actual content of what you say. I mean, there's something like, you know, 80% of the message is is nonverbal. That's very true. I think communicating as a core skill is so key to doing well in business. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what we learn in LeadCom. That's what we practice here every day. Yes. And while we're on the topic of tips, the first years are going through consulting recruiting right now. What tips do you have for them, especially those with non-traditional backgrounds for this final stretch of consulting recruiting? As you work to improve your skills, there is so much ups and downs and variability with how you do on any one case. One piece of it is self-reflection. Just run your own race. Know that you don't gain anything from comparing yourself to other people. And ultimately, it's going to be rocky. Like you're going to nail one case and then you're going to bomb the next one. And that is just how it goes. 
try to learn something from every case that you do and remember to keep that like zeal for problem solving and ultimately try not to take outcomes too personally. I think with interview invites and with offer extensions, there's rejection embedded into the process just invariably. That's how it goes for pretty much everybody. Having a thick skin around it and knowing that it doesn't reflect your worth as a person is so important. Thank you. I hope that that provides some comfort and solace to those listening. For you though, Courtney, you've had quite the journey. You started with this love of music, starting from learning to play saxophone to impress John, (laughs) to going on to learn how to teach music, to teaching music, pivoting to business, teaching business. I want to know what's next for you. What are you looking forward to? Well, I would say the second half of my second year, I'm looking forward to more fun stuff like Board Games Club and the Fuqua Band, which I'm playing in. After business school, I'm I'm looking forward to moving back to Charlotte. Uh, my husband lives there, and we've been apart for now a year and a half, so I'm just excited to go back to that life in Charlotte. And yeah, I ended up with someone named John, a different John. A but... different John. Not, <laughs> not the first John. Right, right. That okay. didn't work out. Okay. But uh, yeah, I just, you know, I'm excited to go back home and start consulting. I'm sure you're going to do a great Great job, whatever you end up pursuing. Well, Courtney, I'm looking forward to what comes next for you. We're recording this on the first day of December. I'm just going to ask before we close out if you can play us a holiday song to leave us on a good note, no pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Beautiful. Courtney, thank you so much for that great song. And thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me.